The talk you are about to hear is by Zen teacher Sensei Amala Wrightson. <clears throat> Today is uh, day one of our spring seven-day session. It's the 2nd of September 2018. And for these first few days, we're mostly going to be uh, reading and commenting on passages from Mud and Water, the collected teachings of Zen Master Basui. This is translated by Arthur Braverman. We'll also be uh, dipping into the three pillars of Zen for Basui's talk on one mind. We'll be doing some of that, at least some of it today. But um, before we get into our um, text and commentary, it's a little bit of um, biographical material. This is mostly coming from uh, Arthur Braverman's introduction to um, the text. Uh, Basui lived at the, the end of the Kamakura era and it was um, um, Oshie Kaplow describes it to be, as being strife-torn and anxiety-ridden. And out of, out of this time of, of much uncertainty, um, quite a few uh, notable relig religious figures emerged, and Basui was one of them. He was born in Nakamura, uh, a district in the province of Sagami, in what is now Kanagawa Prefecture in 1327, on the sixth day of the tenth month. His family name was Fujiwara, but there doesn't seem to be any record of um, his, either his father's or his mother's names, though they were apparently a, a samurai family. He was born during the reign of the Emperor Godaigo, uh, a period when the Hojo, a military family, that virtually ruled over Japan for about a hundred years, was losing its control over the country. At this time, Japan was on the verge of a civil war that would last more than 50 years. So they were troubled times. And we, we might be able to relate to this in, in terms of um, what's going on globally in our world, where we can look in many, um, many areas and see very dis disturbing things going on. <clears throat> the thing is, each of us has to find a way to um, let these disturbing things um, fuel our practice. Basui's mother was said to have had a dream that she would give birth to a demon child. Um, it's quite a contrast in many stories of the old masters. The, the mother will have a, have a dream that going to give um, birth to a, a, a special child, a brilliant child, a spiritual child, but this was actually the reverse. She was unable to shake off the fear of this omen 
and she abandoned the newborn Basui in a nearby field. A family servant found the child there, took him in and raised him. Now we can guess here that um, this may have been all arranged and the idea of abandoning the child was to, to you could say, to trick the demon that might possess him. Um, and, and so the, the, the servant would be in on this, this um, sort of trick or subterfuge. Um, but you can, you can also um, imagine in this uh, the, the effect of being abandoned even for a short time, the small baby. And whether or not this, this experience might not have been part of what fueled his later questioning. <laughs> Goes on to talk about um, his uh, attending um, his father's memorial service. So it, it seems like he wasn't completely disconnected from the family, but this, this, um, the story of of um, uh, his being uh, possibly uh, possessed by a demon would have would have um, coloured his relationship to that to his family, and we don't know we don't know much about it, but we can imagine that that it would play a role. When Basui, so it's, it goes on to say that when Basui was four years old, his father died, um, presumably his natural father. Um, and this no doubt had an effect too, as it did with Master Dogen's losing both his parents at an early age. Three years later, at a memorial service for him, this would have been the, 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 the final in a series of memorial services done for the deceased father, Basui asked the attending priest how his father could eat the offerings placed on the altar. When told that it was his father's soul that would eat the offerings, he asked, what is this thing called a soul? And by the way, that's the idea of the soul eating the of the deceased eating the offerings is certainly not a Buddhist idea. But the seven-year-old child um, was already asking these these um, deep questions. What is this thing called a soul? This was the beginning of an inquiry that Basui was to pursue throughout most of his life. At around nine years old, he was horrified by talk of the agonies of the three evil paths. The three evil paths just refers to the um, lowest of the, of the six realms of existence, so um, hell, hungry ghosts, and animals. And in Buddhism, these are seen as being the most filled with, with suffering. Um, hell, of course, being the, the, the most extreme, and then the hungry ghosts, and then the animals.
He then inquired more deeply into the meaning of soul. After some years, his investigation led him to another question. Who is the one who sees, hears and understands? For long periods of time he sat in meditation, forgetting his own body, until one day he realised there was nothing one could grasp to call the soul. With this new view of the emptiness of things, Basui no longer felt the burden of body and mind, and his doubts about the Buddha Dharma, for the time being, were cleared up. This um, realization he had, that his discovery that there was nothing you could grasp to call the soul, is akin to um, the experience of Hui Ke. Yeah, the um, Dharma descendant of Bodhidharma Huikua um, pleaded with Bodhidharma to teach him and he, he asked the way he framed his question was please set my mind at rest and Bodhidharma said, well, bring me your mind and I'll set it at rest. And after, after searching for it, Hueke couldn't find it. And he said, I can't, he said this to Bodhidharma, I, I, I can't find my mind. And Bodhidharma said, so I have set it at rest for you. But this, um, this tranquility that uh, Basui found um, didn't last. One day he read a book, a popular book, in which he, he read this statement, the mind is host, the body is guest. And on hearing this, um, all Basui's doubts rose up again. If the mind is host, he thought, then all cannot be void. This host must be the master who sees, hears and understands that all things are empty. But who then is this master? And apparently he could not free himself of this new, his new doubt. And this is really, he's this getting at the kind of, um, the uh, crux of the matter. I think we looked into a, um, a statement by Huangbo in the, maybe it was in the last last Taisho, which, which captures this, this question. Huangbo says, all these phenomena are intrinsically void. Everything, everything we encounter the floor, the walls, our robes, our skin, our bones, our flesh. All of this is intrinsically void. And yet, this mind with which they are identical is no mere nothingness. By this I mean that it does exist, but in a way too marvellous for us to comprehend. It is an existence which is no existence, a non-existence which is nevertheless existence. 
so the void does in some way exist. It's interesting that in, in um, quantum physics it's been discovered that, that um, not even a vacuum is uh, truly empty. Stuff arises. At around 20 years of age, Basui went to study under the Zen master Oko at Jifukuji Temple in his home province of Sagami. He did not shave his head and become a monk, however, until he was 29. So a lot, a lot later. When he did at last officially become a monk, he had little taste for ritual and rejected the superstitions that clothed so many of the religious institutions of his time. He neither wore robes nor recited sutras like other monks. He simply practiced meditation in an uncompromising fashion, oblivious to wind, rain and cold. This was Basui's way throughout his life as a Zen practitioner. And it is um, perfectly possible to do this and still um, lead an authentic Zen life, uh, chanting, bowing, wearing robes, um, all these things. Um, we see them as upaya, uh, things that can be helpful, things that can um, help to place our practice in its proper context, this wider, deeper construct text than just our own um, personal self. It can help us to connect with uh, all beings and, and also with uh, beings throughout time as well as space, our Dharma ancestors in particular, and for us to have an awareness of our Dharma descendants as well. The, the, uh, in this regard, not just our Dharma descendants, but all our descendants, what, what uh, effects our actions may have going into the future. But these things are not uh, essential parts of our training, um, and they can and they can also become lifeless rituals if they're done without understanding, if they're attached to. And at, at, at Bas in Basui's time, this was the case. And so he, he um, was very wary of, of getting involved in these things. Later on, his attitude changed when after his, his uh, great awakening. But at this time, he, he um, wanted to keep his distance from um, 
what he saw as, as empty, empty rituals without um, real insight behind them. There was a monk from Basui's home town by the name of Tokuke Jisha, who had cut himself off from the world, retiring to the mountains, practicing religious austerities for many years. Hearing of this monk, Basui decided to pay him a visit. Tokuke, seeing Basui with head shaved and in layman's clothes, asked suspiciously, why don't you wear monk's robes? Basui said, I became a monk to understand the great matter of life and death, not to wear Buddhist robes. Tokuke said, I see. Then are you looking into the koans of the old masters? Basui replied, of course not. How can I appreciate the words of others when I don't even know my own mind? Tokuke said, well then, how do you approach your religious practice? Basui said, having become a monk, I want to clarify the source of the great Dharma handed down by the Buddhas and the ancestors. After attaining enlightenment, I want to save the bright and the dull, teaching each one according to his capacity. My true desire is to relieve others of their pain, though I myself may fall into hell. Hearing this, Tokuke simply put his palms together and bowed. A friendship grew between these two monks from that time. He put his hands together and, and bowed because he, he realized he had a bodhisattva before him. Basui vowed not to preach a word of the Dharma to others until he received certification of his own realization from a true teacher. Once he received such certification, he would devote his life to saving others. To fill, fulfill this vow, he practiced harder than ever, telling himself, this doubting mind is, after all, empty. If we can if we can catch ourselves when the doubting mind arises, and it does periodically, um, if we can if we can catch ourselves and remind ourselves that self-doubt, other kinds of doubt, and even more uh, extreme uh, obstructive emotions even such things as, as self-contempt, which so many of us struggle with, if we can remind ourselves that all of these kinds of things are thoughts, and all our thoughts are empty. In this sense, they arise due to causes and conditions. In other words, dependent on other things, things that have happened to us, the state of our mind. 
And so they're not intrinsic to us. They're impermanent, not solid. And this applies actually to all the forms that we experience, all thought forms. So it includes um, elation, pride, arrogance, thoughts about being su superior as much as the thoughts about being a hopeless case. And if something is empty, but doesn't really have any sub substance to it, then we don't need really to get rid of it either. Either entertain it, um, believe it, uh, be swayed by it, all of that, and also not, not thinking that we have to rid ourselves of it. If we just leave it alone, not get involved in it, either in terms of clinging to it or pushing it away, then it'll, it'll just disperse in its own time. To fulfill this vow, he practiced harder than ever, telling himself this doubting mind is, after all, empty. He carried this investigation as far as he could without any real clarification. Then one day, after sitting in meditation through the night, the sound of the mountain stream at dawn penetrated his whole body, and Basui suddenly had a realization. So then he went off in search of a teacher to verify his understanding. His friend Tokuke had emphasized the importance of this. So he heard of a, um, a well-known master, <coughs> Kozan Mongo, at, at a temple in Kamakura. And so he set off to see him. And Kozan it confirmed his understanding. This was around um, uh, early 1358 when Basu was 31 years old. And it was from this point that uh, Basu started to wear monk's robes. But he also continued to make pilgrimages around the country visiting masters. He went to see another master called Fukuan Soki. Um, this was a master who'd spent time studying in China and had a, a large following, about 2,000 monks at his monastery. But Basui wasn't impressed by him and uh, returned back to see his friend Tokuke. Then he told Tokuke that he was, had not got on well with Fukuan and that he was planning 
to take up solitary practice, find himself an isolated uh, place and, and uh, just sit and sit and sit. Tokuke, who had already spent 20 years practicing in seclusion, um, advised him against this. He related his own experience of having developed a great deal of pride in his, his solitary practice. And, and he said that this pride became the cause of much of his pain and difficulty in his subsequent uh, years of practice. And he warned Basui of the dangers of this kind of seclusion if one undertake, took, takes it before having really um, had a thoroughgoing understanding of um, great matter. And especially for, before having received um, transmission from a true teacher. The thing about about um, solitary practice uh, and why it, there is this pe peril in it is um, that we're not relating, we're not having to relate to other human beings. And so we can develop an, uh, an unrealistic or, or rosy um, impression of our own uh, attainment or, our, or, the, or, or we can have a false um, view of, of really just how um, imperturbable we are. What you, what you get in a community is um, many opportunities to interact, not only with, with the teacher, but also with other people in training. And this, this um, friction is, is very useful. We're um, exposed to um, how we get annoyed by others, how, how they uh, push our buttons. And so uh, we're less likely to succumb to pride, more likely to have a, a more realistic um, view of the work we need to keep doing. Though Basui had received verification from Kozan, he gave up the idea of secluding himself in the mountains in accordance with his friend's advice and instead spent that year in a summer and winter training session with Tokuke. <coughs> Tokuke told Basui of a certain Koho Kakumyo of Unjiji Temple in Izumo, who was considered a truly great teacher. Basui soon set out for Unjuji. So he goes to visit this um, master, Koho 
Kakumyo, whose dates are 1271 to 1361. He was um, a Dharma heir to uh, a national teacher, teacher uh, Shinshi Kakushin, who, um, who had brought the dharmas transmitted through Mumon Ekai, the compiler of the famous um, koan collection, the Mumon Khan, back to Japan. He had also um, studied esoteric Buddhism and uh, studied under Dogen for a time. Koko, uh, Koho, who had um, received the precepts also from, from Keizan, um, the fourth ancestor in the, in the Japanese Soto line, whose who's Denko Rocky we were looking into in the last Taisho. Um, and he was, um, he was having inherited the precepts through Keizan, he was, he was a strict teacher. Um, in terms of, of um, the precepts. And he, Koho did not confirm Basui's understanding right away, but rather said, stay a while, stay and train here. And Basui stayed on. And this is, this is, um, this is evidence of his humility, that even though he'd, he'd received um, confirmation of his, of his understanding from another teacher, he was willing to just become a member of this community without any uh, special honour being made of him and just come and train with this master. And no doubt he saw, he saw that the master um, was uh, somebody worth training under. So he stayed on at Unjunji Temple, but as was his custom, he didn't um, just join um, in with the monks in the temple grounds, but found a hut nearby and um, visited um, the master daily for instruction. One day during their meeting, Koho asked Basui why Joshu responded to the koan, does a dog have Buddha nature, with the word mu? No, or not, or has not. And Basui answered with a verse, mountains, rivers, and the great earth, grass, trees, and the forests, all are mu. But Koho uh, reprimanded him for this response, saying that he was still using his rational mind to reply. Basui felt as though the foundation of his body and mind fell off like the bottom of falling off a barrel. And then he expressed his, his new understanding. Six windows naturally open, a cold, lone flower. 
Unju strikes the rubbish from my eyes, crushes the dream in my right hand before me. So be it, this gold has become hard iron. Six windows naturally open. This is referring to the, to the six sense gates, the five ordinary senses and the discriminating mind. A cold, lone flower. Flowers um, quite often appear in in Zen teachings, and probably the most the, the most um, well known story involving a flower is is um, the Buddha holding up a flower to Mahakashapa and Mahakashapa smiling. Unju strikes the rubbish from my eyes. Unju is using the name of the temple uh, to refer to the master, Koho. Strikes the rubbish from my eyes. crushes the gem in my right hand before me. So be it, this gold has become hard iron. It seems to be suggesting that he was still holding on to something, a gem, a gem of his insight, perhaps. But now even that has gone. So be it, this gold has become hard iron. Iron is also a substance that often appears in Zen stories. Not so obviously precious as gold, but durable. Basui's profound awakening pointed out to him how narrow his previous view of emptiness was. Koho verified his understanding and gave him the name Basui, meaning far above average. Basui was 32 years old. After only two months at Unjunji Temple, Basui once again took to the road, seeking out Zen masters to engage in Dharma talk. So now he was um, refining, going to meet teachers in order to refine and, and um, polish his understanding, test it. Um, he was asked to stay on to receive the Bodhisattva precept from Koho, which he'd received from Keizan, but Basui still having um, little fondness for ceremony um, decided to move on. <coughs> now he really um, was keen to seclude himself and, uh, and deepen his understanding.
He met with another master called Dozan. Again, he wasn't impressed. Then returned to his friend Tokuke. And now Tokuke could see that um, Basui was ready to um, practice uh, in, solid, in, in uh, seclusion. He also was, was happy to um, see his friend's um, awakening as the result of finding a, uh, the teacher that he had not himself um, been able to find in his youth. So then um, Basui stayed in, in um, a series of, of hermitages, continuing his practice, but never staying um, very long in, in, a, in a single place. Then at one point he had a dream about his, his teacher, Koho, that, that he was near death, and so he went back to see him where he was um, now staying and he wanted to stay on with him, but he left again. And it's not clear exactly what happened, but Braverman uh, guesses that it may have been to do with um, strained relations with um, Koho's long-standing disciples. He writes, the oldest disciples may have resented Basui's decision to live off the temple grounds when he first studied under Koho. Some were perhaps jealous that Basui had received transmission from Koho after such a short stay with him. All this resentment may have been compounded by the fact that Basui did not mix with the other monks and refused to take part in formal temple activities during his short stay at Unjunji. Unjuji. Um, Koho died in 1361 in his 91st year. Basui himself was then 35. It's good to me reminded that um, even even temples have uh, te have politics and um, rivalries. Um, because people's people's minds are not um, entirely pure, and people who are who are um, at different levels of of um, understanding. To to. Um, Cut a long story short, um, after continuing to, to um, move around in small hermitage, hermitages, um, eventually um, he did settle down um, He refused to take take invitations to to become in charge of large temples, but um, 
word got around that he would be in a certain place and, and disciples would gather around him. So finally, um, he did um, accept, start accepting uh, students. Um, and the records show that um, eventually there were some uh, eight, 800 uh, lay men and women and monks and nuns uh, gathered around him. It was during this time, this, this, uh, these last years of his life, that um, his um, book was of his teachings was published, Wade Gasui, which means mud and water. He became particularly uh, devoted to Kanon, the Bodhisattva of Compassion, in uh, later life, and actually had a a shrine built um, in the t temple grounds and um, instructed his followers to bury him there after he died. Then um, in, in 1387, um, on the 20th of the second month, Basui sat erect in Zazen posture, turned to his di disciples and said, Look directly. What is this? Look in this manner and you won't be fooled. He repeated this injunction in a loud voice and died. He was 61 years old. And in accord with his request, he was buried under the shrine of the Bodhisattva Kanon. And the, oh, of course, the Bodhisattva Kanon was uh, known for awakening upon hearing sounds. This is related in the Sharangama Sutra. Basui writes about this in his in his um, in his book. He was a person who for every sound he heard contemplated the mind of the hearer, realizing his own nature. This is very much um, the essence of Basui's own teaching, as we'll see. And he went on teaching right to the end. Admonishing his, his followers to look directly His words resonate right up till today for us as well. Time is nearly up, so perhaps we'll we'll um, 
wait and start on on um, Basui's talk on One Mind uh, tomorrow. We'll stop here and recite the four vows. All beings without number, I vow to liberate endless blind passions. I vow to uproot Dharma gates beyond measure. I vow to penetrate the great way of Buddha. I vow to attain all beings without number. I vow to liberate endless blind passions. I vow to uproot Dharma gates beyond measure. I vow to penetrate the great way of Buddha. I vow to all beings without number. I vow to liberate endless blind passions. I vow to uproot Dharma gates beyond measure. I vow to penetrate the great way of Buddha. I vow to attend. The teaching you have received is offered freely. If you would like to make a donation to support the continuation of this podcast service or learn more about practice opportunities at the Auckland Zen Centre, please visit www.aucklandzen.org.nz.